Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello Bardi. Hello Wendy. And our tactics guy and a man who is surrounded by cardboard boxes. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. That is me. Yes, poor Nathan. Moot house again. And um, I can just basically see him, some clothes and some boxes and that's it. Doesn't look much fun. A crate. Some hangers, a guitar. <laughs> yeah, it's a, my life is a mess right now, man. Well, I, I, move I moved house, what, six, seven weeks ago and still am in much of mm. the same mess. So I, I feel your pain. Uh, it's not a lot of fun. Um, but you'll, you'll get there. You'll get there. It's fine. As ever, thank you to our listeners for the emails. I'm going to reference a few people who've sent in particularly um, long or thought-inspiring emails. So... Tom Flint, Daniel Nicholas, Paul Maslin, Matt Pollitt, Neil McCarthy, Johnny Walsack, Alex B, who was picking Nathan up on his tweet about refereeing, Rob Green, Phil Mayo, Gino Tabaki, Sebastian Smith, and Jeremy Dunlop. Thank you so much. And there will be a few other people referenced throughout the pod. We've got lots of other emails with interesting talking points, so we'll we'll come back to those. Um, also, we've got an email from Jack Howes. So you might rem- remember Jack coming on the pod and talking about autism uh, last season. Uh, this is what he says. He said, I got a very positive response to my appearance. You then subsequently received an inquiry from a chap called Shane, who is a Spurs fan, podcast listener, and has a son called Nelson, who is autistic, also a Spurs fan and a Formula One nut. After you put us in touch, I met with Shane in person. Shane and his friend Dean subsequently agreed to run the London Marathon for the National Autistic Society, who Jack works for. They're doing the marathon on Sunday. So we're going to uh, put the link in the show notes. We'll tweet it out. It would be lovely if you could support Shane and Dean, who are aiming to raise money to support the National Autistic Society. Thank you, Jack, for bringing this to our attention and and for the work you did on the pod last year. You were really great, um, a, a great champion for the society. Um, if you can help them out, that'd be that'd be great. Uh, we got this from Ivan Victor, which I think sums it up quite nicely. I really can't be asked for Spurs question. So, what's your favourite food? I feel like this is a Bardi question. Is it going to be boiled chicken? (laughs) 
I was having a chat about this with my wife as I was walking the dog today that she was like, you don't really know me. And I was like, that's a bit of a deep question to have while walking the dog. And she goes, what's my favorite food? I'm like, I don't know. Do you know your favorite food? So she doesn't. She doesn't know what she likes either. So how can I answer that question? It's an impossible question to ask. And it's uh, one of those questions that if your wife or your partner does ask you, run away from immediately. I think um, I'm going to go right now. My homemade pizza is the best thing that I enjoy eating. (laughs) What's on the pizza? Pineapple. No, it's um, very, <laughs> very simple. Just some good, good, some dry mozzarella, not too wet because you don't want it to wet the pizza. My own made tomato sauce and perhaps a bit of um, a bit of spicy induja. Probably pronounced that incorrectly. Something like that. Mm. Something a bit of spice. Nothing too. You don't want too many toppings because it doesn't cook properly. So um, a simple pizza. My own. I'll just give away my full name. A body pizza. <laughs> Government name on the podcast. They're coming for me now. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been waiting for you to slip up all this time. <laughs> um, Nathan, do you have a fa- favourite food at all? Uh, pizza's definitely right up there, to be honest. Mm. Uh, pizza, pasta, you know. I like my Italian foods mm. much more than my Italian managers. Mm. Um, getting into Turkish and Greek food more at the moment, mm. though. Yeah, the, There was a really, really good uh, Greek place down where I used to live, and it closed, and I, <laughs> I'm not over it, basically. <laughs> yeah, Greek food is really, really, really fantastic. I, I do I do enjoy like Mediterranean food because it's lots of little bits of different things and I really enjoy yeah. I enjoy the variety. Um, I can't look beyond a steak though. I think a well cooked <laughs> steak is it's hard to beat. I know it's terrible for the environment. I know it's terrible for my body, but the steak I had at Hawksmoor for my birthday is probably the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It's so good. A little bit of red meat's good for you every now and then. It's a good source yeah, yeah, of protein. Definitely. Yeah, just don't overdo it, right? Exactly. Um, Bardi, I forgot to say, you're volunteering at the London Marathon as well. Yeah, I am. So I ran the London Marathon last year for cancer research and I was blown away by the amount of volunteers, the amount of people that just kind of do things to help other people running the marathon. So I'm working at the Expo on the cancer research stand Friday morning. So if you're down there at the Expo picking up your number and everything else, come say hello. Lovely stuff. Say, if you see Bardi on the stand, say, hello, windy sidekick and best friend. That'll be it. That'll be a nice greeting. Um, I suppose like, we've been putting it off. You can tell we've been putting it off, but we're going to have to talk about Spurs' defeat at home to Bournemouth. Um, oh, God. Um, team selection. What do you say about that? It's the same team again, which I've, I, I do find somewhat inexplicable. Uh, but somehow even worse to me because it's the third game in a row where he's got two goalkeepers on the bench. I, I think it's inexcusable to do that. I think it's inexcusable to do it once, but to do it three times is mental. Um, also, he include, included George Abbott on the bench um, because Romain Mundell was playing for the under-21s. The under-18s had played earlier. The under-21s were playing at the same time that we played, or roughly the same time. So he was, I guess, trying to fill out spaces on the bench with players who were neither playing for the under-18s nor the under-21s. And George Abbott is, at this point, too good for the under-18s and probably not quite good enough for the under-21s, which is why I think he got the spot. Great week for George Abbott, who's been given his first professional contract and also called up to the England under-18s for the first time. So he's had a fantastic fortnight or so. Um but again, a bit weird. Like our bench just looks so flimsy and thin. Like, I, who would you have preferred to see on the bench over one of the keepers and George Abbott? Obviously, injured players. But <laughs> them aside, yeah, it would have been it would have been youth players that actually could stand a chance of of getting on. So um, you would have withdrawn a couple of, from the under twenty one squad. I would. I would have done that. Yeah. Specifically, 
Um, I mean, the thing is, it's so tricky because it's 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 somewhat. Um, you kind of need to think about what positions you need to cover, and they're yeah. not necessarily going to be the best players from the age group. So there's like a, a toss up between ability and position. Uh, I would have included Romain Mundell, who's been on the bench recently. I think that it would have felt right to continue including him. Um, like I think I think Charlie Sayers should have been on the bench before now, left-sided centre-back. I think he's physically able to, to step up. I don't know if he's actually <laughs> fit at the moment. Could have done with the left-sided centre-back in this game. Right, right. And, and also Niall John, who's had a lone move. I think he's a good player. He's completely lost his forward momentum um this year and the back end of last year but uh, i think there's some ability there and he's played for our first team albeit not much but he has played for the first team so yeah i would have done that i do i just think having two goalkeepers on the bench presumably to give them uh some sort of appearance fee like i assume they get a fee for being on the bench just feels weird to me i don't like it i don't like it one bit um i don't really like the message it sends to the Academy players either. Oh, and the other one, Jamie Donnelly, who Jamie Donnelly's a really good creative number 10 slash forward and I think that would have been really helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So so basically there's not many options really. Well, Divine, Donnelly, Mundell, all attacking, exciting, creative players and then uh, we've got some fairly solid defenders as well. Stellini would never have played them though. If he's reluctant to play Dan Juma, who's an established professional, he he would never throw on a youth player just, just to see how it worked. No, no. But Ryan Mason would. Maybe. Maybe did. Maybe did. I um I uh in advance deliberately took the uh image of the lineup that I've used for the last two games and degraded it in quality and then created <laughs> several more in preparation degraded quality uh JPEG defied um versions. But what I will say is that we did play some three five two with it, at least at the start. Um, I talked last week about how three five two makes sense specifically for Brighton, and I hope that we saw more of it, and and uh, and we did see more of it. What I'm going to say now, no? sure, yeah, but but it but it meant that we weren't completely overrunning midfield for the opening section, and that that Sun's touches were in were in better places under better circumstances. So so what I'm going to say now, I'm expecting to push back on. I thought up until Longley's injury, we were all right. I agree. I thought we were, we were decent, and and like understand that the 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 bar is subterranean. That Bournemouth are a weak side. Um, that that you know this is the the this is even worth saying. But I did think that we, we were we started out all right in this game. I agree with Nathan. I, th- I think I, in terms yeah, of we we were burning the dinner, but it was still edible. It was all right. <laughs> you know, after after everything that we've done, it was okay. It was fine. We were one nil up. We were creating opportunities. Yeah, they were threatening a little bit, but I, I felt reasonably comfortable until we had to make the defensive change. I think I think Son playing on the shoulder mm. instantly elevates us as, as a team. I think that is the most obvious change that Stellini could make and has yep. made and has had a positive impact for sure. And Conte wouldn't have done it. Conte wouldn't have done it. And I think that is fair to say. Um I thought our our build up and our possession structures were completely lacking once again. Essentially, I thought we were okay in transition. I thought we were okay when because Bournemouth had a lot of the ball um uh for the first five minutes and looked really good. And then we we took a little bit of a foothold in the game and, and started making you know making inroads up the left. Perisic getting loads of the ball on the left flank and getting some crosses in. 
But I felt that our most of our promising moments happened when a Bournemouth attack broke down and we countered them. And I just don't think when you're playing a team like Bournemouth at home, I just don't think that's good enough. I understand where we're coming from, like we're at a really low ebb. And so I get that like it's all right compared to what we have been watching. But man, the bar is so low, so low. And, um, you know, watching Bournemouth press us really quite effectively um, and have their own quite interesting possession structures, you know, popping little balls into Solanke. Christie having like how are we making Christie look as good as he looked in this game? He he's a very basic player and he was he was running rings around us at times. Um there's just so much of our play which is essentially submit to the opposition, surrender, allow them to do their thing, and then we will hit them on the sucker punch. And I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's where we should be. Even now, I don't think that's where we should be. And I found it really disappointing and I found it a difficult watch. Yeah. But but Nathan has a point. When Longley went off, it went from bad to worse. Also, um, I think I think we're so much easier to press at the moment with Larice in goal as well. I just think hundred percent. There's situations where the centre backs are so deep, so close to Larice because he's unable to do what he should be able to do with his feet. So I think we need to. They should have changed something. We can't keep playing out the back. Either you play Larice and you start punting it long like we did against Brighton, or you play Forster and then you try and build from the back. Yeah, I, I really, I, I totally agree with you, Bardi. I think the selection of Larice is troubling to me because he, I think he weakens us at the moment unnecessarily. We've got worse, We've got worse playing the ball out of the back since he came back. Yeah, I think so. Um, I would say Nathan and I disagreed on a point on Twitter. Uh, the first goal where Pedro Porro lost the ball dribbling inside, obviously a poor decision from Pedro Porro to dribble the ball inside. But in my view, he had... Basically no options other than a chipped ball up the line. Yep. Um, Nathan disagrees. Nathan thought he had other possibilities to try some stuff. Yeah, well, the ball up the line is, is kind of there. Because as he's making a movement, it's being tracked. I think that he could wait on the ball for a beat and play it back to Devonton. Obviously, that's always a scary thing to do. Or there's possibly a way to find a pass into Hoiberg. I'm not saying it's the easy situation, but what I will definitely say is this is something Poro does. This is something that he's mm-hmm. done all along. This is something that we pointed out in the scouting in advance of his signing. Yeah. Um, this is something that he will continue to do even after the you know deactivating his social media for all the shit that he gets for it. And also, much later in the game, taking a shot from 35 yards when there are multiple options on. Mm. This this is who he is and this is what he does. And, yeah. and you can you can you can critique those things. Yeah. Um but yeah, he's always gonna do this. And, I, and sometimes it will come off and he'll create goal scoring opportunities sometimes. as a result of it. I think I took a screenshot of this because I wanted to talk about the the abuse Poro was getting. And I think I think the first of all the, the pass back to, to Davinson is a bad pass. I don't think it needs to go that way. I think we we push Davinson into a situation where he's uncomfortable and we continue to do that with him. He's not a ball playing centre back, but we 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 play him as one, which is nowhere near what he can do. So if ball goes back to him, he's rusty. He's just come on the pitch. His control is awful. He then passes it to, to Poro, who's put in a situation where he's surrounded. There's no there's no out ball there. You're right. It's either he punts it down the line or he tries a crossfield pass into Kane. But he does what Pedro Poro does. He tries to dribble his way out. And um, yeah, it's on him, but it's also on... It's like we've not given them... We've not given Poro or Sanchez in that situation the, the kind of things they need to succeed. And this is what we keep doing into our players yes. it's what we the, the situation we keep putting Larice in they're not very good players but so they're, they're good players in, in a very specific set of circumstances <laughs> and none of these are the circumstances that we're using at Tottenham right now mm, yeah 
Yeah, I agree. I think we're we're consistently playing a style, picking a system, picking a team that does not get the best out of our players um, who, as you say, have quite narrow skill sets in, in some cases. Uh, we're not playing to their strengths. It's exposing all their weaknesses. That was certainly the case with Davinson Sanchez. We, we, on this podcast, we have... We have spoken about our wish for Davinson Sanchez to be sold for, I would say, four transfer windows, maybe think, five transfer windows. I think so. And it, it, it always comes up, my my tweet from, I don't know when it was, 2019. When he well, first joined. When he first joined, I was ecstatic. I thought here, all of a sudden, we had a, a defender that could play the Ajax system, had won multiple trophies wherever he'd been, on. at least he was able to cope in the Ajax system. And he seemed to have something that neither Vertonghen or, or Aldevira had had. So I had big hopes for him. It hasn't worked out. He's, he's he's not improved the way he should and he's not improved and the team around him has crumbled and every weakness in his game has just been exacerbated by the, the crumbling of the team around him. Mm-hmm. And it, it's he cuts a sad figure now and it's on a human level, it's really sad to see. It's so sad, honestly. Um, so I think there's a couple of other issues even before we get on to talking about what happened with him. Um, firstly, he's barely played recently. So he's he hasn't got any rhythm any momentum he comes into a game where the opposition are pressing us in a high press where they're committing four five sometimes six men in that press that is absolute worst case scenario for davinson sanchez he as soon as that sub was being made i was like this is going to be a disaster because he will not cope with this press at all and that was the case his first touch almost was miscontrolling it he he's he's got no confidence he's got no rhythm he's poor on the ball as it is that's not his strength. This was not a game made for him. I thought it was a terrible decision for from Stellini to put him on. I thought he was asking for trouble. And so what happened then to me felt like felt unfair. It felt very desperately unfair on Davinson Sanchez. Um so so none of us were actually at the game, were we? No. But we've heard reports that the sub I think there there were some sort of murmurings when he came on. Um, people were making kind of worried memories when he came on. After the first goal, where obviously Poro loses the ball, but Sanchez has already slipped and looked a bit cumbersome, uh, he then nudges, he gets a tackle in, but it goes straight to the Bournemouth player. Uh, oh, hang on, is that the second goal? Am I That's getting confused? The That's, That's the second goal. goal. The first goal, he Poro is responsible for losing the ball, right? More so, but Davinson does take some. He has a poor touch and control, and that draws further pressure out. And also, even beyond that, to be honest, before Davinson even touches the ball, um, he's coming on, and Bournemouth go right. This is our chance to press yeah, Tottenham high, right? Exactly, exactly. The boos start after that first goal. Whenever Davinson Sanchez gets the ball, they're not as loud by that point. We then concede again, and it's very much not a good look for Davinson Sanchez. The boos become significant every time he gets the ball at that point. How how were you both feeling hearing one of our own players get booed for, for making mistakes on the pitch? I mean, I've never, I haven't been a fan of Emerson Royale all season. Uh, I was at the stadium when he was booed. I didn't like, I, I felt bad for him. I felt uncomfortable. And in the same way that I know someone who has a personal relationship with Sanchez and he's a good guy, a really nice guy. And I felt bad for him when I, when I saw it and heard it. Anything to add, Nathan? Yeah, I I didn't catch the booing at the time, um, but uh, <laughs> I hate it, man. I hate it. Um, it's like kicking a puppy. I, I, just, I, I understand yeah. fans have one means to, of expressing themselves in this situation, and that is to angrily vent up towards the pitch, towards the manager. And I think a lot of it wasn't probably personal. It was more. 
frustration at the situation that Stellini had created and, and our club has created. But in that moment, of course, it is personal because there's one person who's making those mistakes and getting their every touch booed. And to me, that crosses a line. It become That's unacceptable. I just don't agree that we should be booing our own player. No good can come of it, essentially, in my mind. Um, and also, it's just cruel. It's, it's, it's unfair. It's cruel. Sorry, Nathan, carry on. Cruel is right, I think. Um, I think that like we all saw it coming not sorry the performance that is we mm. we we all knew i mean there was a moment where it was like ah oh, i'm really glad to see that he's playing davinson on the right side yeah. of defense and he's moved romero over to the left yeah. this will help mitigate some of davinson's limitations playing on the ball um and that may even be true <laughs> and yet still right yeah yet still we all knew that it was going to go terribly for him it was going to go terribly for us um and I think that that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. A lot of the frustration is not that much aimed at Davinson himself, but aimed at the decision and the situation that he's still at the club, even that that he's been brought yeah. into this game, that we have to commit to a back three, even though later in the game we realise actually, no, we don't. <laughs> but that nuance isn't expressed when you boo a player for touching the ball. Um, when you boo a player for touching the ball, you're saying, you know, fuck you for being shit, basically. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like... Okay, a lot of football fans, when they were kids, they wanted to be footballers, right? A lot of us, we aspired to be footballers. We didn't make it to the level of Davinson Sanchez. We didn't make it to the level below the level, 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 below the level of Davinson Sanchez. And yet we're <laughs> booing him for be- not being good enough, right? <laughs> Have you achieved in your life anywhere near the level of success that Davinson Sanchez has in his before you boo him for being shit? We can critique him, right? We can say he is obviously a top-level player who has significant weaknesses in this game. and We can do that analysis and we can even be frustrated as fans. But to boo a player for just, like, having limitations, it's not going to improve him. It's not going to make him play better in the in the game. It's only going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, 11 days ago, I did um, I did the kind of... the history of the scapegoat at Tottenham. And Sanchez was, was in my ultimate scapegoat 11 alongside individuals like um, Genus, who I totally forgot we really scapegoated him. We went after him heavy. Sissoko, um, Royale, Chris Armstrong. We, we went after Chris Armstrong so hard just because he wasn't Jurgen Klingsman. Darren Bent, Ramon Vega, Bobby Mims. There's a few names in there. So at, at Spurs, it's... Almost that we, we we need to have a scapegoat to go after an individual who's who's to be blamed. And at the moment, unfortunately, Sanchez is the figurehead of, of failure at Tottenham. He should have been sold. He should have been moved on. But Levy perhaps wanted too much money for him, and um, we end up with a player who's ill suited to how we want to play. And and that's where it all falls down. Mm. So we have to reference another aspect of this. Um, we had a number of emails from listeners on this subject. Um, I'm going to leave the name off this because I'm not sure the person wanted to be named or not. I'm just going to read what they wrote. When I first started supporting Spurs back in 2010, I was told that as a black person, I should be supporting Arsenal. Since I was an African-American in the deep American South, I didn't think much of it. And as most racist utterances in my life, I just shook it off. However, after hearing the boos for yet another person of colour on the Spurs team, I was reminded of that incident and a sorrow set in. Not only was I extremely frustrated by the tactical decisions of our manager, but now, for the second time this year, I was seeing one of our few teammates of colour treated absolutely horrifically. I'm sure this is not the intent of the match-going fans to express a bias against people of colour, but I'm having a hard time remembering when someone of lighter complexion has been booed enough so that it comes through my television here in the US. Similarly, this is from Thomas. Can a black player succeed at Tottenham right now? I'm thinking about the disproportionate and over-the-top abuse, not specifically racist abuse, black players seem to receive from our fan base. 
at least over the five years I've been supporting. I don't think I'm imagining this. What should Spurs be doing to support our black players and other players of colour? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I I feel like I get it as well as I reasonably can get it as a white person um, where these where these frustrations come from um, and, and how, how it must make you feel. Um, I think... I think everything I said uh, before about Davinson is not applicable to the Ndombele situation. I completely understand, actually, the fans booing him in that situation in which he's he's acting out, right? It's not a matter of him not being good. It's a matter of his, his attitude and behaviour. Yeah. Sulking and, and, and deliberately coming off the pitch slowly and being deliberately harmful towards the team. There's a nuance there about Hill coming across from the other side of the pitch, but it doesn't matter, man. Um, however, when you look at the other two, they're booed for their limitations as players. <laughs> I kind of get into a trap where I have to say, <laughs> why hasn't Dyer, why hasn't Hoybjerg, why hasn't Winks received the same treatment? I don't think they should receive that treatment. That's not what I'm saying, obviously. Um, but there is now a pattern. It's a it's a small pattern, but there is now a pattern um, to be to be wary of and concerned. I'm not saying that everyone who 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 booed Davinson or Royale is like consciously racist. But I'm saying we have to be mindful of of um of the image that we're creating. Bias. Well, yeah, yeah, um, yes. I think there's unconscious bias at play, possibly. But I think that beyond that, we have to consciously engage with the impression that we're giving off, whether whether it's meant or not meant. Yeah, you know? yeah. To to our black players and our black fans. One way to avoid this is to simply not boo our players at all. I mean, I even had a problem booing with the booing of Hossam Ghali and um, he threw his shirt down. So I get why people would be cross with him. Like, my view was, this guy has just lost teeth for Spurs. So <laughs> let's let's give him the benefit him of a bit. doubt. Yeah. Um, but I understand in the moment, if someone sees like that gesture as like a huge disrespect to the club, like the same with Tongi and Dombele walking off slowly... He's really upset, he's really frustrated, but it has a detrimental impact on the team when you just want to get him off and get another player on. I do understand why fans react in that way, but like you said, Nathan, there's no similar excuse in the Davinson or the Emerson Royale situations. Um, Stellini then obviously hauls Davinson Sanchez off. The poor guy looks absolutely distraught. I, I think Stellini should have... I don't know what he said after the game, to be honest. I haven't read his... I, I can't stand the bloke. I, I'm not interested in reading what he's got to say, but he should be publicly apologising to Davinson Sanchez and taking responsibility yeah. for that situation because it's on him, in my jo- view. Yeah, I think. Jose, um, Jose once subbed on Dyer and then subbed him off immediately. Yes, Handled right. the situation much better. Stellini's he a, really did. Stellini's a fucking idiot. You, you, fired, you fired Antonio Conte and then you've hired someone who's worse than Antonio Conte, <laughs> who is everything that embodies Antonio Conte but with only a fraction of the fucking skill and tactical nous. So Stellini is out of his depth and he's he's buried Sanchez there. And um Sanchez has played six substitute appearances this year and um his his treatment of him is unfair. And now people are gonna be oh but you've always supported Sanchez and supporting me he's a nice guy and he's unfortunate the situation has been in fucking Eric Dyer has been every single minute of this fucking clusterfuck of a season <laughs> and he's, he's walked through this and Maybe we should just stop booing players. I have to admit, I've never booed Joybier, even though I've been tempted to. But yeah, maybe <laughs> we should stop booing. I mean, none of this is to say that we think Davinson Sanchez is a good player. And no. I think all of us want him moved on in the summer, right? Like, at the earliest possible opportunity. We want him moved on three years ago. And, yeah. and I'm sure he wanted to move on three years ago. And, you know, that's just a failure of the club to move on players and, yeah. and recruit well enough in the first place that you don't have loads of players that you need to move on. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was it kind of the the it was unfortunate for him that Longley played that wonderful pass to Perisic for the for the Son goal because um, it kind of you've got an instant comparison like Longley, not the best player on the ball, but a competent, a competent ball playing centre back. And then Sanchez comes on and just looks like Bambi on ice within moments of coming on and, and Bournemouth press him to fuck and make life incredibly uncomfortable for him. We will um, we will lose Sanchez for free this season. There'll be some kind of mutual agreement and he will walk off with a nice lump of money and us with no transfer fee having to pay him off. Whereas mm. a year, two mm. years ago, perhaps Sevilla, perhaps other teams are willing to spend 10, 12, 13 million pounds on him. Mm-hmm. And our stupidity at the board level cost us money once again. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> We will talk more about the Bournemouth game, but first I shall hand over to Bardi because for 2023 we are partnered with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because my health is important to me. It's literally the only thing I've got right now. My team is a mess. My manager is in the mud. And the other Italian great hope turned out to be an angry little bearded idiot. So I've gone back to basics. I've stripped it back. I'm just focusing on getting my steps in, staying active and drinking my AG1. It may look as boring and as predictable as a wiggy 3-4-3 transition, but it's not. There's a hint of fruit and the exotic about it. And it puts a little bounce in my step. And these days where watching Tottenham is a misery, I get a bit of joy out of shaking my AG1 shaker. Cheer yourself up and put some good in your life, your mouth and your body. Take AG1. Send me a pic of you shaking your shaker if you want. I need that joy. (laughs) It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself and it supports better sleep quality and recovery. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate staying nutritional insurance. So Spids wrote in to us and Spids said, long time listener and subscriber, I felt compelled to write in for the first time after watching the game against Bournemouth. Yes, we lost, but there was a real moment of dawning realisation for Levy. Playing negative, cautious football does not work for Spurs. We get outplayed by everyone, even at home. When Stedilling took Sanchez off and threw on Dan Juma, we suddenly looked a dangerous team. We were unlucky to lose, and if we'd started with the same ambition, I feel we would have easily swept Bournemouth away. The lesson has to be, to dare is to do, 
We have a lot of very good players who just need to be released from the shackles. If Stellini selects the same team or formation next week, he should be sum- summarily dismissed. And I, 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 I mean, I would sack Stellini instantly and just put Mason in charge for the rest of the season. But uh, there's something in the fact that Dan Juma came on again and made a difference. And I do think he's now played himself into the team for the next for the next game. I think Dan Juma has to start. What do you guys think? I think I think so. I think his positivity is something that we're really lacking at the moment, and something that Kuliseski's not producing and doesn't have in him. Maybe you play both of them. Maybe you take Kulu out. But there's definitely mm-hmm. something about his about his demeanour and his kind of energy, which is which is um, infectious almost. Mm. Nathan, we saw a back four. We also saw Harry Kane playing central midfield. <laughs> Kind of. So uh, I um, I uh, I did a very bad data idiot thing. I had to go out due to house moving reasons uh, at the time that Davinson Sanchez was subbed off. So I didn't see the back four live. I then uh, looked at the data and I tweeted out saying, hey, outside of the period of time where Davinson was on the pitch, we were actually OK because I'd seen the first half. I had looked at the expected goals up in the second half. Um, then, since then, I've watched the period of time, watched it back, and um, we were sort of okay against a, a very uh, defensive Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, so, I, in terms of expected goals, statistically, yeah, we were kind of unlucky, but um, overall, we were bad. <laughs> right? Overall, we were definitely bad. Uh, we deserve the bad luck that we get. We 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 went from one defensive extreme to way way too risky with our with our eleven to a situation where um you know Harry Kane is the fourth most defensive player on the pitch for us and right. and we shouldn't be totally shocked that we conceded from um the first counter attack that Bournemouth were able to put up in that situation. Um, I don't understand why Poro was temporarily moved over to left back in that situation. I watched it back a couple of times; and it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Um, man, I, I, let's talk about Dan Juma for a second, but, um, I'm so frustrated with that performance. <laughs> um, he looked sharp, he looked good. And, and, um, I sort of almost don't want to put too much on it because, um, I don't want to give off that we should be surprised, that we should be impressed. Right. Again, this isn't, this isn't a fucking, a 21 year old from Guyamp, right? This isn't, this isn't Jed Spence. <laughs> this isn't Jed Spence. This is one of last season's Champions League knockout stages, um, most outstanding players. This is a really, really talented player. So him playing well is not all. <laughs> this is a this this guy could potentially, you know, be be shined up. This is a this is a very quality player, and that showed. I heard that he arrived quite unfit. And that that might explain his limited minutes so far, but my response to that is play him into fitness, bring him off the bench for 10, 15 minutes on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> also, we've literally seen loads of video of him working in the gym, like sure. outside of training. So even if he arrived unfit, like he's clearly putting the effort in to get fit. Sure. I mean, it, it takes time. It takes time to build match fitness, but, um, you know, give him, give him 10, 15 minutes every game at least. Um, yeah. Yeah, I. What would you say? What do you think the the odds are of us starting with the back four in the next match? I think there's a much higher. I think fifty fifty to be honest. Okay. I, 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 I honestly, I think the fans would be furious if Dan Juma doesn't start the next game. There's a chance that he starts instead of Kulusevski, but I honestly think more likely we go back four. We play four two three one or four three three, and I think that's the right decision. I think like that should have been the decision as soon as Conte went. We should have been playing a back four. 
get some more attacking players on the pitch. It's, I know it's not as simple as that tactically, but even for the message it puts across to the players, to the fans, I think it should have been the way forward. I think it means you've got more square pegs and square holes. Dan Juma is a quality player. We need him on the pitch, especially when our, you know, our front front three arm hadn't really been connected. And I will say, again, Stellini has definitely made a tweak with Son that has improved things for Son. He's significantly closer to the old Son. Okay, on top of that, would Conte have gone to a back four in that game at all? I think we've seen Conte go to a back four in extreme circumstances before, okay. and I think he would have done it again. Would Conte play a back four in the next game? Probably not. Probably not. I think I think that there has been a slight improvement in going from Conte to Cellini. I think so that, tiny, though. It's a tiny improvement, but it's an improvement. Uh, obviously, it's way, way below acceptable. But yeah. I do think that there's been an improvement. I agree, yeah. And I think that, to be honest, the main improvement for me is just having Son on the shoulder. Yeah. He just looks so much perkier. Uh, he's getting where's, better chances. Where's Where's the improvement, guys? Is it, is it just Son? Because it's just Son for me. Okay, so that, that's the 0.5% improvement. The, hmm. Despite the fact that we just beat Brighton thanks to some VAR and we drew to 10 men Everton. Yeah. I mean, yeah. speaking of VAR, how did that goal stand? The 10 goal came was literally stood right in the way of the ball. Like The goalkeeper had no chance. Bizarre that that was allowed to stand, but I was happy. I actually thought we were going to go and win it, didn't you? And then Richarlison missed that header. Maybe we uh, underpaid off. Maybe we underpaid for Richarlison. <laughs> you guys are find a little shot Nathan <laughs> got one in there uh, I felt really sorry for Richardson to be honest like the guy's had no luck this season has he it's been a miserable season for him It's it's been a mess from the start I I, I, I criticise the players. I blame the players a lot for, for most of this. That's my that's my shtick. But I, I don't think you can remove the shackles of some of these individuals. I think they're firmly shackled for life. And I don't think they're ever <laughs> going to find any kind of freedom in playing progressive football. I just don't see it. And in, in the same way that I've, I defended Sanchez in the fact that he's been put in a situation where he won't thrive, I think it's the same for Joibier and for Skip. Joibier's been asked to do so much stuff that he can't do, he's not able to do. Um, so... I, if I... What, what what do you what do you think of of Bournemouth Jack Stevens or Chris Meppham? Are they are they quality ball playing centre halves? I think they both probably get in our team. No, right neither of them gets close <laughs> let's, to our team. They're, they're, but they're, they're playing both. some good stuff, you know. They're playing some good stuff. I think they have. Um, I think they have a. Mid, they have. They have for sure. They have a team that understands what they're doing. But I do think Gary, it, Gary O'Neill's done some good things. With, like I don't think he's going to be there in the long term, probably. But he's got them playing positive front foot football. They pass and move as a team. They're a very unit. They're moving together. They're working together. Do you know what That's they have over need. us? Do you know what they have over us? They just people talk about our pressing. I just don't see our team able to run. I just don't think our team can run anymore. I don't think we have the legs to get around the pitch and even attempt to play a pressing game. And when we try and play it, people just go straight through us. So I, I honestly think we need to go back low block and counter for the rest of the season. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, the, the, there are two schools of thought there. Um, and Jermaine Genus made the point of match of the day that I happen to agree with, which is the team don't know what they are. There's no identity to them. They don't know whether they're a pressing team because the, they were kind of pressing, but it was really half-assed. And they were kind of sitting back, but then some of them sometimes they'd press, so they didn't know whether they were doing the low block encounter or the the press. And I think that's part of the problem. They just lost their way somewhere. You know, it, whether it's Conte being distracted by the terrible things going on in his life or whatever or the, or the fitness around the World Cup or whatever they've some some 
somewhere along this season we've lost our way and we don't know what we are anymore and and we're just a mess and we need someone with a very clear simple identity clear simple plan to bring some joy back into these players lives get them smiling again get them playing some proper football i mean the fitness thing um, it's not just us if you if you look at our friends across the across the high roads they they've fallen out they they don't they they can't run for 90 minutes so i think the only man city seemed to start the season a bit slower and now they now they're flying they've got everything mm. they need so maybe there's there's something there we've just timed it wrong got it all incorrect but i do think yeah yeah no i'm just wondering if because Arsenal haven't rotated much either. Man City they've... have 24 first 11 players. Yeah. Yeah. I think and this no is it, isn't it? That. Yeah. Arsenal have... Because you remember we had that conversation about Hoybier and Granit Xhaka and like they basically played roughly the same amounts of minutes. Mm. Uh, that's probably quite telling, isn't it? That Arsenal are now falling off as well because they're knackered. Great to see, by the way. Mm. Absolutely delighted that they uh, got held by West Ham. Um, that was the one good thing to come off the weekend of the football. Um, I enjoyed this question from Ollie Dale, who said, would love to know what you guys think would be in the interview process for the new manager. Would they speak about how they use data and stats? Would they give them situational questions? Your team is level one all against X. What do you do at halftime? And then in the second half, would they ask the incoming manager to discuss what their preferred formation is and what sort of player is required of each position? Then work out whether they're going to need to buy loads of players and as the current playing staff are not the same. It's all okay, I guess, if Paratici is around and has the knowledge to break down the answers. But how does this look when it is and was just Daniel Levy? How would Levy know what is a good response to these questions? It made me think that the process is never discussed, and I think it would be interesting to see what is involved. So thanks for that, thanks for that, Ollie, in Perth, Australia. Um, Nathan, what do you reckon they'll be asking potential managerial candidates? Oh, actually, widen that out. What do you think they'll be doing at the moment about identifying potential managerial candidates? Calling around some agents, um, <laughs> getting some ideas. I, I really don't know, man. I, in terms of asking me how, how, how it has been done, I've no idea. I can tell you how I would do it. I can tell you how I think it should be done. I think that knowledge of how they play football you know the situation your team's level one one um you you find that out in your research beforehand yeah so understanding their football is something that you do in advance before the interview process the interview you're going to talk about um internal process of the club you're going to talk about use of director of football um recruitment methods um inside club hierarchy what they want to do in terms of the physio department etc things like that for me is the interview process hmm. um priorities and ideas idea, i suppose yeah getting an idea of their character talking about um use of uh psychologists at the club those are the kinds of things that i'm interested in, in the interview process because that stuff isn't on display every weekend <laughs> for the last several years right um i don't know there, so there was there was a question a few minutes ago uh, and there's kind of a question relevant bit in here is like levy put out this uh this open letter or whatever we are gonna play attacking front-footed club dna football right hmm. um and then we hired Nuno Espirito Santo and uh, Levy wasn't convinced that he was an attacking manager and Paratici showed him some of his Valencia sides and there were some clips of Valencia playing some nice football and therefore he passed the test and then we hired Conte and oh, well actually, if you think about it, Conte plays quite pragmatic football. Um, his teams do score lots of goals, so that's what attacking is, right? The problem is there is not good understanding of what attacking football is and how it's achieved. Um, because 
because I think for a lot of fans, um, attacking is inseparable from winning. Because if you're succeeding, you must be playing attacking football. If you're failing, you must be playing defensive football. And there's also a way in that that definitely is true in that when a side who want to be an attacking side are playing poorly, are having a midfield control issue, are suffering with defensive frailty at the back, that inhibits their ability to to play attacking football. And and when you have a side who, you know, uh, peak Mourinho sides, peak Conte sides who are lethal on the counter, then they use a defensive situation to create goal-scoring opportunities. So there is an extent to which saying attacking football is kind of a meaningless um, phrase, a meaningless sentence, a meaningless claim. You, you have to sort of get an idea of what that actually means. Um, for me, I want us to see... I want to see us play with structured possession and um, aggressive pressing. Mm. That is that is obviously maybe that's a hard thing for a chairman to write um, in an open letter because it's so specific and uses tactical jargon. Um, but it's also probably something beyond his comprehension of football. Uh, but but I don't think it is after Pochettino. Levy and Pochettino were so close, right? They went on holiday together. He he must have learned something from Pochettino's style, surely. And I feel like that would be really tangible for the fans. To those those aren't concepts that are alien to fans. You know, even even the casual fans, I think, would would get what Levy would mean by that. Striking possession. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Daniel Levy uh, watched pressing. Daniel Levy watched Sky Sports News six months. He watched Sky Sports um, Sky Sports Monday Night Football. Southampton were playing. Pochettino was a manager. He heard Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher say, "Oh, this is modern football." And he's gone, "All right, then. I've tried a load of different stuff. Let me go with this." And that's why we ended up with Pochettino. It was a cheaper. Point. I would genuinely, I would love to know who recommended Pochettino to Levy. And then since then, like we're not going to Mars and looking under a rock and finding an individual <laughs> and saying, "Can you manage Tottenham? What do you do?" Like every football match is recorded, man. Every football match exists. So you could just to ask, go ask, ask Nathan, ask anybody, go walk into any pub around Tottenham and just say, look, I'm looking for a manager that plays exciting football and you'll, you will get a decent manager. So I, I don't understand how it, it's so difficult for Levy to do it. And um, maybe he's just a bit like Harry Kane. He gets wooed by these big alpha individuals. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the truth. Maybe. Maybe. There was, there was a report in The Athletic um, this morning that kind of listed some of the managers that we're, we're currently not ruling out. And it was the most scattergun list. I mean, it was a little narrower than than you might, the worst thing I could imagine, but it was still scattergun with managers of a whole different styles and philosophies. And I'm looking at thinking, we don't, we still haven't worked out what it is we want. We're just looking at names, <laughs> that's, and that's yes. just completely the wrong. And that's why, well, that's why we'll, we might appoint Vincent Company because Daniel Levy's gone right. What can I do? I'm going to get a winner. Right, this is a winner. He's he's won <laughs> stuff. I'm going to get a personality because he can say things. I'm going to tick the EDI box because he's he's a black dude, and that's it. Daniel Levy's gone. Okay, look, these these things work without actually thinking about whether or not it's the right fit for Tottenham. So this is my concern. He happens. <laughs> he he might be the right fit. Might... I mean, but he I agree that he will be stumbling into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I because think... I've got no faith in in our managerial hunt no. anymore. Yeah, yeah. 
I really like company, by the Me way. Me too. I'm, I'm, all, I'm um, all in on company. Plus, it'll give us so many yeah. options with episode titles. Oh, so yeah, I have started a poll on um, the X Range Patreon, looking, uh, asking who people want to know more about in terms of potential head coaches. And right now, company is leading the way uh, with over 300 votes right now. Um, we there was some some strong links, some some ITK stuff. Oh, there, there was a tweet from a guy <laughs> yeah. who seems to be a journalist or has the 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 aesthetics of a journalist on his Twitter he, account. He, saying, he used to be a Sky Sports presenter. Okay. He used to be a Sky Sports presenter, just straight up saying, I'm not sure about the source on this. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how reliable this is. Um, but I've been told companies set to be announced next week or something, um, which is, you know, which is right now, by the way. Um, I mean, th- I actually did that once with a, a guy who claimed he was related to Gareth Bale. So I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm a hypocrite. Anyway, people will, right now want to know more about Vincent Company. Um, I am in the middle of moving house to and will be for a couple of weeks because I'm not in my new place. I'm back at my parents. So it's going to be a little while before I can get going on this stuff. Um, so maybe over the next couple of weeks, uh, when company doesn't get announced um, and we get strongly linked to someone else, then maybe Slot or Potokoglu, who are in second and third, might take over and people will want to know more about them. Um, but yeah, I will definitely get going on my first video of that series uh, in the near future. I know future. you had um, one vote for Marco Silva and it it, it, it wasn't yeah. me, but I would like to know more about Marco Silva because... Do you want me to do that now? Yeah, well, because, yeah, I think what he's done with Fulham is pretty amazing. Fulham have come up and gone down multiple times. And I think the fact that he ha- he hasn't done anything, like, it's still Fulham. And he's been able to make this team pretty steady. They go to Everton, they smack up Everton, something we couldn't do. So I'm kind of curious about Marco Silva. I'm not saying I want him to be the manager, but I would like to know a bit more. Okay, so, um, sort of a medium block press. Um, pretty Pretty decent pretty decent um and then some technical players in the middle of the pitch um a 431 I'm pretty sure let me double check that yeah 431 and then um the wingers tuck in and the fullbacks are really aggressive and then they whip it into Mitrovic who's a big lad up top yeah I mean and, it's and decent it, and it was fairly similar at Watford as well yeah it's, it's, it's decent it's functional it works it's not hideous um but it's not high level football that's going to translate to winning titles um or contending for them um it's not exhilarating and i think that it's the kind of thing well first of all that it's reliant on a target man so we could turn harry kane into an out and out target man i mean basically we did that this season mm-hmm. anyway right so mm-hmm. fine um not in my opinion the optimal use of him um but it's it's um it's limited. He's it's functional. But he's it's taken championship players and put them safe in the Premier League. It's good work. Could it be and translated? Like it, he's done Could it well. be translated with players of of better uh, better caliber? I don't think so. I don't. It think didn't so. work at I, Everton. Again, wow. Yeah. Everton yeah. is is a basket. Everton Ancelotti work. didn't work at Everton, and he's just won multiple <laughs> Champions Leagues. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's doing a good job mm-hmm. at Fulham, but it doesn't go any higher than this. I right. don't think. Silver out. Mm. He's he's off my list. I, I think also he he's kind of got lucky that he's got the exact right type of players at Fulham. Like they've got some really decent technical players in amongst some like good athletes who are quite limited technically. Um, so I think it's kind of a perfect storm for him in some ways. Uh, yeah, he's not he's not on my list. I mean, part of me is like Pochettino is right there. The whole crowd are singing his name. It's the easiest appointment known to man, and it would make a lot of people very happy. Just do that. 
but um, I'm very keen to know more about slots um, and pro- probably I'd like to know more about Vincent Company. Although I've, I'm happily I've watched Burnley a few times this year and I've I've liked what I've seen. Also, um, if you've not seen it, there is a 10 minute video of Vincent Company essentially introducing himself and his staff to the Burnley squad at the start of the season. It's really interesting. He kind of talks a little bit about the type of coach he is um, and what he hopes to achieve there. And there are many good vibes as well. I think you'll enjoy watching it if you've not seen it. I mean, to be honest, it's 10 minutes, but like once you've watched one minute, you'll be compelled to watch the rest because he's so likable. Uh, so so give that a watch. Has he drastically changed their lineup or is very similar players? Really very, good recruitment. Yeah. Really, They've really completely good changed the squad over. They but, they sold the team and bought a whole new team. <laughs> but they're they're now seeing Ashley Barnes play the best football he's ever played at Burnley. Um, who saw that coming? So there there is some like he's made some actual improvements to pre existing play. Like um, there there's there's some of the old players there essentially. Um, but they yes they they've they've signed very 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 well. Um, he makes this really interesting point that I like in his. Um, talk to the players where he's like I improved when I was in my 30s I got better as a player it is possible to to keep improving um, the camera pans to Jack Cork and lingers on him for like five seconds at that point being one of the older players in the squad um, yeah I really like I really like Vincent Company and I would definitely not be unhappy if if he was our next manager but Pochettino is right there you have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindemer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindemer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.